Welcome to this edition of When the Biomass Hits the Wind Turbine, a discussion of sustainable living and what that means to you and me. I am Jay Warmke. I'm Annie Warmke. You are. And today we're going to talk about um, when you no longer have to work to make a living or being rather than doing. See? We're going to be in so much trouble because we're... we have often talked about the fact that we need to take a class on how to not retire, but how <laughs> to do less work. Yeah, yeah. And it and it's really harsh right now because it feels like our work is being successful, more successful than ever and speeding up and we're going, wait a minute. Well, part of part of what motivated this discussion, uh, there were a couple of things. Uh, I'm, as I've mentioned before, I'm on this uh, binge around artificial <laughs> intelligence. He isn't exaggerating and, either. <laughs> and so my binge about artificial intelligence has led to this idea of what is the longer term implication of that? How does that change society? Um, what happens? Uh, does it create a, a situation where we divorce work from having to make a living. And when we had a recent uh, group of students uh, at Blue Rock Station from Oberlin, uh -huh. and I presented this to this group of young, idealistic, uh, up and coming, um, you know, 20 somethings, and said, Can you envision a society where you no longer? have to work to make a living, where your society will provide you with all the basics um, to exist. And, and your right to exist is inherent in the fact that you are a person. You are a person in our society. Therefore, our society will take it upon itself to make sure that you exist. And that was a notion that I could clearly see could not be internalized. All right, by but this let me group of let people. me defend this for one second. There you go. Some of the rationale. There you go. Because I do think that anybody you ask that of that isn't like you and me who are looking at all this weird. Really? No, yeah. <laughs> not weird. We're Martians. That's okay. <laughs> um, but is saying let's analyze how this impacts our business and our uh, future work and where we're going to be. You know, five to ten years from now. Um, so there's that. It, but if you just ask any general group of people, no matter what their age, what what would that look like? I think you would have a similar response, but not for the same reason. Because individually, when they were with me, I asked them, what's your major? They told me. I said, what kind of job does that lead to? And they were totally puzzled about what that meant. And right. because they have a different background than uh, the general population. Well, and I think when I pose that question, the first thing that happens in my mind, in your mind, in everybody's mind, and in their mind is, <laughs> yeah, that ain't going to happen. You know, I mean, there's all sorts of barriers to, well, how do you motivate people? Isn't that just welfare on a grand scale? Uh, how are corporate, nobody's going to, government, I don't want to pay taxes for that. You know, so you start throwing all of these kind of things out there to say, this is why that's not going to happen. And I'm I'm saying it just keeps striking me. I keep hearing the refrain of John Lennon's imagine, you know, it's like, imagine there's no heaven. Imagine there's, we cannot get to this place until we can imagine it. But you it know. does exist. We have Alaska. Well, there's that some gets payments. We have exists. countries like Norway where everybody it, gets a it payment. Exists it exists in small, work. in small ways, in small isolated places. Um, I'm just saying that 
Well, let's let's dig well, into so, the weeds. So let on me it. just say one thing, and that is that we are uh, in this culture. Human beings are a commodity, and we exist to generate to do work that generates profit for a select small group of people. Well, but I think and it's, so it's hard to imagine that we would not be working. Well, there is an imperative by society and there's an imperative by corporations at the moment to say, okay, you are one, one of the inputs of production. And that's, that's important to us economically. Um, I think it's also important to us internally because as Americans, we view it's kind of like we are what we do. If if you go into a party or something here, the first thing somebody's going to ask you when they're being social is, what do you do? Right. Are you a teacher? Are you a lawyer? Are you a doctor or whatever? We went to Europe. You know, we lived there for three years. I don't think anyone ever asked me what I did. They would ask what's your heritage? Where are you from? Well, yeah, what brings what you to Europe? You How do you yeah. like French food? You know, it's like yeah. they would ask you things that, uh, you know, have a lot more meaning than, than what is it that you do to make a living. But so, so I, you know, we're, we value ourselves based on, on our status around what we do. And I'm saying, I guess the best analogy to me in, in prompting this discussion is if you have a child, you as a parent, if you're a good parent, look at that child has the right to all of their basic needs and it is my responsibility as a parent to provide those basic needs just because that child exists. It is not based on what they produce. It's not based on what they contribute. But you it have is a moral theirs. imperative to do it. And that's the disconnect. So corporations don't have a moral imperative. And the government yeah. has forgotten that that's the role that okay. they play and really the only role that they play. But I'm getting into the John Lennon imagine. Imagine you have the right to exist just because you exist. Imagine you have the right to a living, to the basic needs, just because you are. Imagine a corporation that pay okay. or a wealthy person paying the tax they okay. ought to pay. No. Imagine the Let's government not... actually saying, we are here All to right. create enough so everybody has what they need. Okay, that is not but the your system. sarcastic tone indicates to me that you feel <laughs> that that is not a practical um, no, it's aspiration. Not. It's, it, I'm not saying it's not practical. <laughs> it's it To me, I'm thinking about, all right, and I am thinking about this every time we have this conversation, is what are the teeny tiny steps, because that's what it's going to take uh -huh. that erode the current systems. Gotcha. You're right. We're right on track here. Okay. It's almost as if you read my outline that is right no, in I front of you. No, I didn't read it yet, but maybe I should have. <laughs> I would have added something else. Okay. So, so what prompted a lot of this discussion for me was my focus on AI. And there is a lot of discussion out there in the world of geeks who are talking about AI that this is a massively disruptive technology. Um, and, and to say the least, to say I mean, the least. On, yeah. that's like, wow. and, and to me, it's disruptive on a scale that COVID-19 was disruptive and it's going to happen maybe not overnight, like, like COVID seemed to do, but it's going to happen very, very quickly. And some of the projections, um, that, that are out there with COVID, uh, not with COVID, with AI, <laughs> maybe. um, you know, basically, Artificial intelligence is is a technology that is going to first impact those people who deal in the knowledge um, 
in the knowledge sphere. And, and some of these, in fact, I did a, a little um, search using AI, AI. Um, and, and the jobs that they were saying are going to be immediately impacted is computer coding. I mean, why would you pay a coder uh, $50 an hour to code something when the AI will do it in three seconds and it's better? So are we um, beginning to outline the erosion? That's yeah, yeah, yeah. And this outline. is happening right now. In fact, they've mm -hmm. said just in the last couple of months in the United States, there have been about half a million layoffs in coding, in, in content creating, uh, you know, people writing things for websites well, and that game, kind of stuff. Game developers, yeah. I want to say they what they said was it's because during COVID there was a demand and now it's not there. And I'm thinking, sure. no, it's not so. It's because AI is starting to take a share of the market. Well, and these are some of the jobs uh, that they've outlined, like paralegals. Half a million of those folks, lawyers, 1.3 million. We're not going to cry over lawyers, but, um, you know, <laughs> let's let's get them all gone. Um, market research analysts, about a half a million people, financial advisors. These are things so, AI can do so much better oh, okay. and so much faster. Um, accountants, one and a half million. Oh, let me get through the list. Let me get through the list. Let me get through the list. Graphic designers, customer service people. I can tell you customer service people don't get things right. So I would much rather have a artificial intelligence walking through. They also speak English, they can understand. And, and I don't think that people are understanding how quickly all of this is happening. Uh, in the world of, of watching this stuff as being a geekoid, um, I don't know, geekoid a word? Anyway. For um, you it would for be. It is. <laughs> These developments are happening weekly. It's not, right. you know, it, it's it's happening in a month, a month is a year in the world of artificial intelligence um, development. And already these models are functioning like they're a super intelligent human being, about 150 IQ point type things. They're growing at what's known as a logarithmic rate. So you figure a factor of 10 every year in something like that. So now, now it's just off the scale It's and it's happening so quickly and you start integrating. Anyway, short term. Okay, Short wait, term, wait, uh, let me just say. finish the thought, is the Pew Research said they anticipate that one in five jobs is under immediate threat from artificial intelligence. One in five, 20% of all of the jobs that are currently in, and these are the highest paying jobs. That's why people are worried about it is because it's the guy's you know, who, who have the influence. Nobody seemed to care when, when factory workers were getting laid off because of automation. Now we're all, now it's serious because they're coming after my job. And, and when the lawyers start losing their job, we are, if you thought whining was, <laughs> whining is going to be an art form. <laughs> so, well, all right. So what my, was your response? Well, I completely forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> and I knew you were getting yourself wound up, it but worked. it wasn't important. <laughs> it was important. The, the thing that strikes me, though, is that while this is all happening, um, it feels like not very many people except the geekoids are paying attention. No, they're not. And they're not. the other thing that strikes me is that a lot of these jobs are people who are deciders. They're people who have power and control. And so they can manipulate things still. And they can you know, be fraudulent. They can do all kinds of things that would uh, maybe delay what's happening or cause harm. Well, I, in preparing for this discussion, 
um, I was looking at this and thinking, okay, if the Pew research is correct and that 20% of all of the jobs that are currently being um, filled are in immediate threat of being uh, wiped out, you know, unlike COVID, when you, when you went home that day, you thought you were going to be getting a paycheck. You thought you'd be returning to work shortly. Mm-hmm. Um, and But this is like you're unemployed now, 20% of the population. So I typed into chat GPT and I said, hey. Which is a year old now. Yeah, and, and, it's, and it's smarter than I ever was. Anyway, it's, um, it's saying, I said, what would happen if 20% of the U.S. population um, suddenly lost their job? What would be the ramifications? And it responded basically saying immediately there would be a a lack of demand for goods and services, which would cause an immediate recession. That's the first thing. The second would be there would be a real estate crash because the people with the discretionary income, um, the ones who are high earners are the ones who tend to push up the housing market. Right. Um, Now they can't afford their, their housing payments. Uh, A lot of markets, a lot of homes on the on the marketplace all of a sudden with very few people able to afford them, the housing market would crash, said there would be immediately much lower tax revenue because the very wealthy don't pay tax anyway. It's it's the middle class that that bears much of the burden. So that and then the last thing which I find was interesting is AI said, and then government will be forced to intervene. Yeah, and, and, and do I, their job. So ChatGPT is already telling me that uh, that we're we're the heading towards are in the dam. well, and this is something that's that's going to happen now. Maybe not as dramatic, and maybe well, the frog in the steps, tiny in, steps. Well, but I don't think it's going to be tiny, and I don't think gonna it's going to be slow. Rid of lawyers that quickly. Oh, if only. I know, but <laughs> let me say one thing. I did remember what I was going to say. Oh, okay, this is important. So you're telling us all these things and you say, oh, I got that from Chet, GPT and all that stuff. Okay, that's good. But I want to point out that if people are really interested to see if you're telling the truth and you're being accurate in what you're guessing and looking into the future about, that all they need to do is to go to YouTube. And do you know the name of the guy that is in the little... um, uh, Star Wars outfit. <laughs> Star Trek. Star Trek. Do not confuse Star, Star Trek, Trek All right. with Star so Wars. Star Trek uniform. Uh-huh. With it's it's beam. something Shapiro. Okay. Um, anyway, I think if all the ones that I have looked at. Well, but all there's of the, lots of good ones. I know there are lots of good ones, but I'm just saying that he has, he's very good at, he does use a lot of acronyms and stuff, but He's very good at making it look simple. All right. Before we send everybody off to YouTube, you have been <laughs> listening. You were listening to When the Biomass Hits the Wind Turbine with Jay and Annie Warmke, reminding you it is indeed very much so the end of the oh, world well, as we know is. it. And thank God, I hope. Thank God. Yeah. And and that's one of the big issues we always talk about is that um, we won't get into the existential threats of, of AI. What I'm talking about here is um, perhaps one of the outcomes of this transition will be this movement to where, um, you know, for lack of a better term, they, they just simply refer to it as universal basic income. Right. Where they say, okay, 
as a government, we've identified that you have certain basic needs. And, and many economies worldwide, in fact, most of them, have already identified certain basic needs like the right to medical care as a basic human right. And government will supply that. The well, U.S. Think about is, what's going to happen to medical way. care yeah. under AI. Well, it may get cheaper and better. Well, it's bound to because doctors are doing, they're practicing on you, whereas AI has other abilities. Right. So, and the right to an education. We see this, you know, K through 12 here in the United States. Many other countries say, well, let's extend that into college age. Um, That is a universal right, not based on your ability to pay. It's there. And and it's a good example of universal basic income there. Um, I think the best way to understand basic income, the analogy that came to my mind is it's it's your allowance. It's your allowance when you're a kid. You know, this is the money you get every week, whether you do anything or not. This is just your allowance for being part of the family. It's not there to buy yourself a new bicycle or whatever, but it's there to do the kind of basic things Um, So universal basic income is essentially you're going to have enough so that you have food and shelter, um, very basic food and shelter. Yeah, but that's enough. And when people have enough, they feel safe. Right. And if people feel safe, then they are productive. And they they can thrive. They will thrive and they will be better with their families. They will. And that's the argument in favor, right? You say we could make the argument that it is an, that you have the right to enough just because you exist yes. and that once you have those those uh, lower maslow 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 um anyway those basic survival needs met then you can begin to uh thrive to self actuate uh, actuate uh, all of those things so um so they would say that this gives you this would be a burst of creativity a burst of entrepreneurship people will do what they love and when they do what they love they're going to be better at doing I don't what they love. I don't believe that it will be a self-actualizing thing I think it will be a thing of saying uh you know nature is now more important yep. it was it's not it isn't important in this country now um, my children and how they grow up will be important, and I will invest in that. And I don't mean financially. Um, my health, my my well being, my body's mm-hmm. well being. I will be a person who's going to walk in nature or exercise, or yeah. and this is where that's not the self actualizing. I think I think a lot of people could just simply envision it by saying, "What would you be doing now, as a job or to in life?" If you didn't have to do what you're doing just to get by, you know, would you be working in the job you're working in if it didn't pay you money? You know, is that the thing you want yeah, to well, do? Well, most people don't work at a job that, that gives them any oh, kind they, of they, sense, Yeah, most sense people hate it. And they're doing it only because they have to. Mm-hmm. Now, on the flip side of this concept is, is the argument that, listen, if you're just paying people to exist, then what motivation do they have to work? Now you're creating a welfare society, and and uh, who is going to be paying for this? Right, but that's not a welfare society. You're saying this is my right, right as a person to expect to have enough. I know. Don't refute every argument I'm saying here. It's just that this is their argument, whether you agree with it or not. It's a valid argument um, that that if you take away the motivation uh, to work, then people won't work. I would say that's almost like saying if if I'm not holding a gun to your head, you're not going to do what I want you to do. Well, I tell you um, why that's not 
that part isn't true. Their their assessment isn't true. If you look at the generation that's just entered adulthood, they're saying, I'm not working 60 hours a week because I have right. my friends. And although stats say they don't, but <laughs> I have my friends and I have, I like to do gaming or I like to uh, go sailing or I like to, um, uh, you know, walk in the woods or whatever that is. And I want time for that. I don't right. want to have to work all the time. So we're, yeah, we're already beginning to see the nature work changing. Right. Um, we're seeing that the the generations that are coming after us, they're, they're, it's not, it's I work to live, I don't live to work kind of idea. Uh, the gig economy where I'm not loyal to one particular boss, I'm not going to work there for 30 years, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And actually, when we talk about this, um, workforce thing, uh, not having to be in the workforce. It was interesting to look at the statistics to find that currently there are about, um, let's say, 267 million working age adults in America. And out of that 267, only 167 million are working. Uh, there's 100 million people who are out of the workforce altogether. So we're already halfway there to where people have made the decision. I'm not participating well, in the workforce. Have they made the decision? What you yeah, were some of it's me been been made the for them. One for men and number one. Yeah, for women. well, the Let's number one, the number one for one for women, far and away, uh, opting out of the workforce is is caregiving. They're either dealing with their children or they're dealing with their elderly relatives, their parents. Uh, whatever, but they have said it's cheaper for me to actually do the caregiving than to try and hire somebody to do the caregiving. I'm I'm make less than what I have to pay them. Right, so but that, in a way, that's a little bit misleading. I mean, women right? women have always been in that position. I know, but here's the thing: you have to be able to feed everybody. So how are they feeding them if they are not? If the, it's a, well, we're, we're seeing a lot of economic uh, inequity because a lot of people, whether you're disabled, whether you're elderly, whether you have to take care of ailing parents, you then suddenly get you're at a lower economic level. And what we're saying is that should not be the case. Um, you know, we should see equity. So I don't want to, I don't want you to get bogged down on that yet. Um, but the reason men are unemployed? Because we're pigs. <laughs> that's that's the reason. I did not say that, nor did I think that. No, the the number one reason. So the primary reasons: women, it was caregiving; men, much less so. Being disabled, um, being well, retired. Three percent of men. I know. And being disabled, being retired, um, being students. All of these are reasons people opt out of of the workforce. But there, those are many of them are acceptable reasons. Like if you're retired, if you're a student, you know our society says that's all right, that's okay. These other reasons, not always okay as far as we're concerned. Well, the thing that I'm thinking about with AI is AI is coming onto the scene and it's now going to potentially replace 20% of all of the workers. And these are high paid workers. Those people are suddenly unemployed. But the productivity, the work that they were doing is still being done. And, and needed, somebody's and somebody's profiting from that. So the question is, does all of that newfound wealth go to, you know, the um, 
Elon Musk's of the world and we create these super robber barons? Or does society step in and say, listen, there now needs to be equitable distribution of this labor that used to be done by people and is now being done through artificial intelligence or by machine? And, and do we have to fundamentally reshape the way we look at those things? Is there a robot tax? Is there an AI tax? Is there, how is that distributed? Yeah, but here's the challenge. <laughs> okay. Wait, well, I know, I'm just letting you know, I'm gonna talk so I don't talk over <laughs> you, is that there are many things that come to mind. First of all, corporate America has to completely change how they do things. The government has to completely change how they look at people. It isn't us yeah. versus them. It's it's the government saying, my job is to take care of the people that uh -huh. live in these borders. And that isn't going to happen very quickly. There's going to be a lot of suffering in between the point of a universal income and where well, we are today. I'm not disagreeing. I'm saying this is a fundamental transformative shift in the way we view ourselves, our world, our work, everything has to change. This is this is so transitional. It's the right. same well, as if an alien species just it, it, it's more than it's more than the industrial loop. Wow. This is the biggest thing um, since the invention of fire, since the invention of agriculture. You know, I mean, these things and and we've done it before as a species. Um, and, and yeah, you're right. There will be resistance. The question is, will, you know, and this is kind of the difference between a dystopian future and, and a utopian future. Right. Well, the thing I feel good about in our work is that we are thinking about these things, but we have been thinking about like when people get certified to be solar or they're working in farming with us that they're learning. We're always wanting to provide more education. So when they can't use their body or don't want to use their body because they're not 20 something anymore, yeah. they can move on to another level that earns more money that enables them to have a better life. And that's what we're always working towards in the work that we do. And, and we, I would love to see corporate America like that. Yeah, well, let's not focus on corporate America. Maybe corporate America gets um, thrown to the dustbin of human history. I think that would be great. All right. But if you think about historically, where has the poverty in our society been, been housed? For a long, long time, it was with the elderly. Um, Social Security helped that a lot. You know, that was a huge government program, which many people still are arguing against, yeah. where you say, OK, we're going to take a certain amount of our societal riches and bestow it upon the oldest. We have now the number one group in poverty are the children. Yeah. You know, well, we had an attempt to have children getting money um, through well, through the yeah. through the child care credit yeah. or whatever that was. Yeah. It was rejected and overturned, but that's another universal basic income for children. We have universal basic income for adults, for, for old folks like us. And then you've got, um, <laughs> and children. Well, then why not for everybody? And, and this is something that we should have with the advent of artificial intelligence and in some of these societies. We, we have the resources to do this. We just, at the moment, do not we have, have the will, we and we don't even have the ability to visualize it. And that's where that, we need to get. That's the real rub right there. And that's mm -hmm. the problem that we're going to face over and over is that the people in charge 
the the bureaucrats, the politicians and the corporation, the people who run them and their board of directors do, are so far behind in all of this. And when it comes up and it's a shocker like COVID, they're it's going to be mass. Crazy. All right. Well, well, hang on. It's a bumpy ride ahead, right? Well, that's the reason we you've talk been, about sustainability. <laughs> you've been listening to When the Biomass Hits the Wind Turbine with Jan Annie Warmke. We want to thank our ever sustainable, and we'll give him basic earned income yeah. every day, Adam Rich. <laughs> and we want to thank you for spending just a little bit of time with us. And as your grandmother hopefully told you, the secret oh, to a happy and sustainable life is? Play, play nice with others. Clean up your own mess, and good heavens, robots are going to be in charge. Eat your robotic vegetables. Yeah. Till next time. You can find more information on living sustainably in our unsustainable world at BlueRockStation.com. Yeah.